Hello, and welcome to the Self Sufficient Hub podcast. I'm Carl from selfsufficienthub.com, and I'm here to talk about all things self sufficiency. Sustainability and food security matters. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 160 of the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I hope you're all safe and well. The weather has turned and it is, uh, it's feeling amazing out there. Every chance I get I'm out enjoying this amazing sunshine. I've done quite a lot in the garden over the weekend. I've fixed up one of our polytunnels that was on its last legs. I've got a video coming out on YouTube around the same time as this podcast, so it's probably out now, but if not, it'll only be a few hours behind of basically me taking an old decrepit polytunnel that was on its last legs and revamping it without spending any money and making it almost as good as new. So I'm thrilled, absolutely thrilled with that. Got all my compost in place, some seedlings germinating, and it just feels like spring. I'm just so happy with the state of the world at the moment. I've also got three or four fantastic interviews in the bank, recorded, ready to go out over the next few weeks. This Wednesday, I'm going to be talking with Xanthia Hayes about GM crops. It was a really enlightening conversation, so I do urge you to check out that episode when it drops on Wednesday. Also, the last little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the meat of today's show is just to say that the Facebook group has been really growing quite fast in the last few days and weeks. And I just want to urge you all, all of you guys, to share your own stories there. Don't uh, don't think that it is an exclusive group where I am going to be, you know, the only one uploading information there and posting photos, you know, please do feel free to let me know what you've been doing. Show me some pictures of your gardens, all the things you're up to and, you know, start your own posts, start your own threads on whatever topic takes your fancy. I'm not the biggest Facebook user, so I'm not there every hour of every day, but I do check in at least several times a week usually and I do read and comment on pretty much every thread that's in there so I will definitely see whatever it is you put up so yeah just encouraging you guys to please use it as a resource I want it to be a resource for us all to communicate and you know just a a nice community there so don't be shy about using it so with that out of the way, let's dive into today's show. And today's show is the 10th in our series on the permaculture principles. And we are on principle number 10, use and value diversity. So use and value diversity, it ties in quite nicely with a lot of the other things we've been talking about. But particularly the integrate don't segregate episode that principle I think it works quite tidily with this one because here we're talking about when we're integrating you know try and integrate lots of different things not only to think about the things that come to mind first but you know try and use as many different 
things as we can in every regard so that we can use a wider variety of plants, a wider variety of sources of nutrients, a wider variety of pest control measures so that all these things can tie together. And it works hand in hand with trying to build resilience in our systems as well. So this permaculture principle of valuing diversity, using value diversity, it resonates really strongly with the idea of polycultures rather than monocultures and a permaculture system that works to systematically use diversity and, and promote cooperation within all of its different structures and create sometimes quite complex relationships between diverse parts of a system can be seen as just one of its greatest strengths and in fact I'll just quote from Mollison himself one of the forefathers of permaculture who says existence is not only a matter of product yield but a question of appreciating variety in landscape evolving plant systems and existing animals provide niches for new species the cattle egret follows the cattle the burrows of rabbits are occupied by possums, bandicoots, snakes, frogs and feral cats. And the growing tree becomes a trellis, shade spot and host to fungi and epiphytes. So, again, by just looking and learning from nature and how in nature there is this huge variety and diversity and how it's used and valued, it's just you know, it makes sense that it's one of the permaculture principles, but there's also a lot we can actually learn from it and take into really practical steps in our own gardens. So to go on, that's what Mollison says, or one of the things he says. And then the Permaculture Association states that a permaculture design should always try to incorporate a wide variety of plants, animals and approaches. So again, you know, we're talking about diversity to build resilience in our system and also to provide us with more yields. You know, don't forget one of the other principles was to make sure that we are providing a yield. <laughs> find self-sufficient hub content elsewhere online in lots of other places we have a youtube channel we also have our website and now there's our facebook page and facebook group links to all of these you can find in the show notes come check us out So we can even take this down to a single species level. You know, if we're just talking about one species of plant, we still want to try and use a diversity within that. We want to try and use different varieties. A great example could be apples. So if we are growing apple trees, if we're planting an apple orchard, or even if we're just planting two or three trees, a healthy, diverse orchard would contain lots of different types of apples. It would have some that flower very, very early some that flower late it would have cooking apples and eating apples that way we're protected against so many of the vagaries of weather but also diseases and pests because something that attacks a certain type of plant or something that attacks at a certain time of year is going to damage not your entire crop so a, a really late hard frost in the spring for example can do some damage to trees that are already in blossom but 
we don't need to worry quite so much about that if we've got another row of trees about to come into blossom a week or two later. So polycultures rather than monocultures are just the way forward in so many different aspects, not only in this protection against changes in the weather, but also to help pollinators, you know, to provide that food for pollinators over a much longer season. And even stepping back a step further and just thinking really, really simply, it means that we're going to be cropping for a lot, lot longer as well. You know, even, even if we're talking about our annual vegetables within the annual vegetables that we plant if we can include lots of different varieties that are going to crop at different times then we're going to be able to extend our season as well which is going to provide us with that yield for longer and of course that's why we do it you know that's why we're doing what we're doing so one of the sort of phrases that is quite often associated with the use and value diversity permaculture principle is the idea of don't put all your eggs in one basket so when we maintain a really diverse system then we're going to be doing exactly that we're going to be spreading our risk we're going to be spreading the amount of work you know we don't need to be doing all our work at the same time either things are going to be planted at a different time things are going to require pruning at a different time within a permaculture design it's worth saying as well that we would almost always try and include a zone five. Now, I've not spoke about zones yet in this permaculture series, but zones are basically a way of looking at your space and designating areas by how frequently you would use them. So you'd have your annual vegetables and your herb garden, your kitchen garden, and all the annual vegetables that you need to give a lot of attention in zone one, the area closest to your house and kitchen. And then in zone two would be things that you need to access a little bit less often than zone three, less often again. So perhaps some of your bigger livestock would be in zone three that you only need to check on once a day. You might keep your chickens in zone two that perhaps you're visiting a couple of times a day. And then in zone four, that's where your orchards and things that you might visit once every few weeks and for large periods of the year, not visit at all. And then zone five is an area that you would just leave to nature. And incorporating a zone five is a big part of this valuing diversity and using it because bringing nature into our gardens, into our spaces, also serves a huge number of purposes. Not only does it help with things like pollinators and giving habitats for those pollinators to live, it also encourages amphibians and other things that are going to come and take care of our pest problems. So when we're talking about permaculture designs, you know, trying to incorporate as wide a variety as we possibly can of all these animals and plants, not just animals that we're raising and owning ourselves or perceived to be owning, but also wildlife and wild animals and also incorporating a big different variety of approaches and systems as well. We do that not just for the sake of it, but because that diversity really does serve to give us resilience. You know, if one crop fails, we've got various varieties of that crop ready to step up and take its place. And 
another way of thinking about it, you know, we've already spoke about apples and how we might have a wide variety of apples. But just generally speaking, when we talk about polycultures as opposed to monocultures, so polycultures are somewhere where we're going to be growing lots of different things. They're also proven to be actually more productive overall than lots of monoculture systems, even the ones that use lots and lots of inputs by way of fertilizers and pesticides and all those other things. A polyculture is going to be far more resistant to pests and diseases, but it's also going to actually have higher yields. And that's something that we're always looking for, you know, those higher yields without having to work harder for them. I always bang this drum because it's so important just to create systems that are going to tick over on their own. And a great example of this is plant guilds, which I've spoke about in the past. You can now support the show directly. Just go to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. You can become a patron and set up to donate to the show from any amount. Pledging as little as $3 a month makes a huge difference. If that's not your thing, you can also support the show by sharing it with people you know or posting about it on social media. We really appreciate all the help that you give us. It's people like you that make this show possible. So one great way of using and valuing diversity, and it's a way that I have advocated several times, and I absolutely love it, it's a great hobby as well, is to go out foraging, foraging for edible plants. Pretty much every domesticated plant that we now grow and that we buy seeds for, originally it came from the wild. It was sourced from a wild cousin, a wild relative that it's been bred and had certain traits encouraged for over a long, long period of time. But these food plants are still there. You know, the ones that are the ancestors of the things that we cultivate now deliberately are out there growing all on their own without our help, our help rather. So nature's self-selection and naturalized plants that require no care, no irrigation, no watering by humans, no fertilizers because they're out in the wild doing their thing with healthy soils and everything underneath them. And not only are they out there doing their own thing quite happily without us, but they're also just one example of a huge genetic variety of all sorts of plants that are out there, far too many for most people to ever learn all of them. So foraging for wild foods can both provide us with nutrients, but also provide us with that diversity. It's a way of using and valuing that diversity that's all around us. And it's happening all the time. It also has a load of lovely byproducts like increasing our connection to the place we live and the plants that grow around us and also a fun way to learn how to identify more plants and learn a little bit more about plants in general. Another way that we can use and value diversity is by trying to bring water into our landscapes. Depending on the size of your landscape that could be as simple as a small pot sunk in the ground, or it could be a vast lake or pond, depending on how big a scale we're talking. But to use and value diversity, we could bring amphibians closer to where we want them in our garden. I've spoke several times at length about how I'm 
desperate to try and encourage as many amphibians as possible near our vegetable garden because the idea is they're a natural predator for a lot of the pests that we deal with and a lot of the most difficult to deal with pests. So by increasing the number of wildlife and the type of wildlife that we want in the areas that we want, we can just apply this nudging principle that permaculture is all about and use that to our advantage. So there are a million and one different examples of this. You know, we could go on and talk about the soil food web. You know, there's diversity that we should all be using and valuing by making sure that we're feeding our soils and letting our soils feed our plants using all sorts of methods by using good composting techniques by using a variety of compost sources so at the moment we are producing compost here at home from hedge cuttings from leftovers from plants that we've harvested from manure from our goats from manure from our chickens from leftover bedding from our chickens i'm also sourcing more external sources of nutrients to go into our compost making so i extended our beds this year and regular listeners will know that i actually purchased some compost which i don't usually do and I'm planning on not having to do again. I bought five tons in the end and it was very well used. It was great value and I don't regret doing it at all. But in future, I want to be able to produce about that much compost myself. And I've done that by finding someone locally who has horses and has a lot of horse manure that they actually want to get rid of. So I've found a source of horse manure locally and I'm using and valuing this change this additional source of organic matter i'm using and valuing all the diversity i can around me we're using the ash from our fire we're using coffee grinds from some local coffee shops and we're using all the other things that we've always done and we're finding more and more ways to find organic matter that is currently going to waste or unwanted or a byproduct of something else and we're using and valuing that diversity to create our own compost and to create the amount that we need you know so we are using a vast array of different sources for our compost material now and going forward I think that should make us self-sufficient in compost. I thought I was self-sufficient in compost already until I came to extend my bed this year and uh, turns out not quite. So um, I think just by thinking about each individual aspect of what we're trying to achieve you can think about using and valuing diversity in lots of different ways you don't have to take it as one big apple that we're looking at you can look at the individual bites and uh, each of those can contain lots of diversity it's really easy for you to get in touch with us you can do it either by sending an email to selfsufficientcontact at gmail.com or by using the link in the show notes to send us a voice message. You can send us a voice message just using your phone. You could also reach out to us on Facebook where we have the Self Sufficient Hub group and the Self Sufficient Hub page. We're always thrilled to get your feedback, questions or suggestions for future topics on the show. Thank you. 
It's interesting when you think specifically about animals and just within one type of animal, how sometimes over the course of history, this idea of using and valuing diversity has actually been forgotten and we've gone against it. And when animals are bred for shows and Although, you know, we're not talking about breeding dogs for our food, but when we think about the breeding of dogs, you know, we all know it's incredibly well known the health problems that come with a lot of dog breeds because of how they've been bred, because they have not had that genetic diversity because they've been bred for very very specific traits at the cost of all else then they don't have the health that comes with a really diverse genetic makeup and the closer we get to nature the less and less we see these problems so I'm thinking now about chickens and goats and pigs and all the things that we are now using here at our homestead but across the world on small holdings and homesteads to produce milk or eggs or whatever it is or meat and a lot of the time when we go for the more commercial variety of animal we might find that due to the lack of diversity within the gene pool then we really do see some quite difficult traits to deal with that cause all sorts of health problems so by going back to a more natural breed one that likes the environment that it's in and you know doesn't have all these problems then I think we can tie ourselves to a much easier way of living by crossbreeding our own animals if we've got two different types of hens you know we call them hybrids when we cross two different breeds of hens but quite often these hybrids are much healthier animals I think it's important as well you know to keep good records if you're going to be doing your own breeding and just making sure that you are keeping that diversity of genetics healthy within your own flocks of animals whatever they might be within your own herds of sheep within your own herds of goats we certainly do we you know we're very very careful not to interbreed and this is about that strong diversity building it using it and valuing it and of course as always these things go right across the the board they apply to everything we're doing in our gardens but they also apply outside of our gardens you know the diversity that happens all around us by mixing with people from different backgrounds who have different functions different livelihoods you know we open ourselves up to a much healthier range of ideas but also we open ourselves up to skills that we might not otherwise have had access to so it's the opposite of specialization if you like and I suppose that's one of the things that actually draws me towards permaculture because as much as I really do enjoy becoming an expert at something I really enjoy the diverse nature of permaculture gardening and the things that it allows me access to you know as someone who considers themselves a fairly well-rounded permaculturist I certainly don't claim to be an expert I'm far from it I'm still learning just like most of us but what I do like about it is it allows me to incorporate bees and ponds and annual gardens and composting and livestock management and all of these things under one roof and much like a guild of plants where we're using and valuing the diversity of different plants where you'll have some plants that are 
mining plants that are sending down deep, deep roots to mine for minerals that will eventually excrete those minerals into the ground as they die, or whether you're talking about ground cover that's going to work as a weed suppressant and all the different plants that make up a guild. Much like that guild where everything's working in harmony with each other, all of the aspects of a permaculture garden and all of the aspects that I'm learning as a permaculture gardener are also working in harmony with one another. The plants that I'm planting everywhere are acting as a food source for the bees. The bees, in turn, are going to pollinate those plants. The plants are going to act as a food source for my goats. The goats, in turn, are going to provide me with milk and also provide me with rich organic matter for my compost which is again going to feed the soil and I'm going to look after all those microorganisms in the soil because they're in turn going to look after again those plants. I'm going to also build a pond to encourage wildlife the type of wildlife that I want into my garden. We're going to have a nice big zone five because we're lucky enough to have the space and allow for that wild area. That's going to encourage other animals onto our property and they're going to provide me with other sources of valuable supplies. They're going to provide me with things like rabbit meat and all of these other things. And I love how it all ties into each other. And by using and valuing diversity rather than the specialization that commercial or traditional commercial farming has become, then it allows us to have a much richer space not only physically but mentally and allows us the opportunities to learn so many different skills and that's something for which I certainly am very grateful so that's going to wrap up episode 10 in our permaculture principles series we're on the home straight I think we've just got a couple more weeks and this episode or this series will be wrapped up our permaculture principles series please let me know what you've thought of it I've really enjoyed bringing it to you and I certainly I certainly think that having done it it has really helped me to deepen my understanding of the permaculture principles and for that I'm grateful to all of you guys if you find this podcast valuable there's several ways you can support it the easiest of which is to rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts You could also talk about it or share it wherever you post online, including your social media pages. And now you can support the podcast directly by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. However you support the podcast, we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. See you soon.